Hello, everybody. My name is Simon, partner and head of growth at Founders. Uh, Founders is a startup studio. Welcome here. Um, this first session of our Founders Field Notes, where we will talk today about growth and about how we will adapt to the whole Corona world. And, and today I'm very happy to have uh, very skilled and experienced people with me to, to discuss this topic. So uh, first of all, let me introduce you to Mike. Mike, could you please uh, Hello, about yourself? Yeah, so my name is May and I uh, am a partner and advisor in the company called T-Bone Advisory. We specialize in helping SaaS companies uh, go from potentially no marketing to having marketing as a revenue driving function in their company and scale internationally. So I'm Nicola. I am CMO at MyTutor. We are an online tutoring platform where we connect parents and students who need some support with their studies with university students from the top universities who are subject specialists and can really help them with those tricky topics, areas that they're finding challenging. Uh, my name is Sean Percival. I'm an American, although I'm living in quiet Norway these days. Um, <laughs> my background is a bit of a mixture, half operational, mostly in marketing capacity. I was CMO of a company called Whereby, makes a product very similar to Zoom. I was a vice president of marketing of a little site called MySpace. These days, I also do a lot of early stage investing. So I've invested in about 120 early stage companies. Uh, I'm a partner at a Nordic and Baltic fund. Um, hey, I'm Tash. I work at Seedcamp, uh, leading European early stage investment fund. Got a portfolio of over 350 companies, which includes a couple of unicorns that you may have heard of, TransferWise, Revolut, UiPath as well as loads of other awesome businesses. I sort of run uh, all things brand marketing and network seed camp, which is an awesome job because I guess I have the responsibility of marketing the fund and a brand itself, but also I do a lot within the portfolio itself. And because we're sector agnostic and because we sort of do a really high volume of deals, you know, averaging around 33 pre-seed and seed deals a year, it means I get to work with companies sort of doing a huge mix of things. Um, I was running marketing and brand in early stage companies before jumping ship and doing it at seed camp. Um, and the thought was really, you know, I was sort of seeing the same problems and issues come up time and time again in those businesses, same mistakes. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to actually be able to work with a real cross section of companies and try and nip at some of those things like early on in terms of really thinking about story, positioning, brand and all of those things, you know, even more important now as we adapt to this kind of new world, both in terms of, um, you know, how we're operating internally as well as what we're putting out externally. Thank you all. Uh, fantastic uh, background and insights and experience. I uh, look very much forward to, to talk about growth and marketing and of course, uh, how we adapt to, to the post-corona world. Um, but let's first of all, maybe just um, jump back to the heydays, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> the, long <laughs> the long forgotten world when the bars were still open uh, and there was no corona. Like, could we maybe just like quickly have a talk about like what was actually like the main characteristics of, of how we were growing our companies at that time? Um, what do you think, Nicola? Like what, what, what were you guys like, what, what would you put like as a, as a headline or a few headlines on, on how it was to grow a company at that time? So for us, it was a mix of two things, really. We know that there's demand for, for tuition in, in the UK. Our big challenge was that historically, it's always been something you do in person. So parents just weren't aware of this online world and that tended to be the biggest challenge. So the way we dealt with that was to try and get rid of a lot of 
preconceptions about what online meant, which was pre-recorded videos done over email, we'd brought in a consumer sales team. So we were talking about the main selling point of my tutor, which was improvement in grades, and then using our consumer sales team to really explain what online was. And that was really supporting conversion rate. So we were seeing exponential growth looking like 100% year on year. And we'd also started to flip a little bit into the retention piece. Um, Natasha, you probably see this time and time again, but what you tend to see in, a, in an early stage company is everything is all about top of the funnel, get loads and loads of people in. And then you forget actually about whether they're actually adding any value. And that was a classic scenario at my tutor. So we were forgetting to focus on those customers once they come in and had their first lesson. And so we were starting to see a real improvement in that lifetime value, which is so critical and also helps you invest more in top of the funnel. So we were starting to get a really good balance there, which was really important. Then obviously everything went upside down because our, our key opportunity there, everyone's piling in for that pre-exam revision and support. And then as we headed into GCSE and A-levels, schools were closed and uh, everything goes upside down. But what was interesting is that my number one focus for Q1 was to really drive adoption of online. And silver lining for this interesting world we're in is that suddenly it was done for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I think just jumping in, like that's the thing that's so fascinating now in terms of the businesses who have struggled to drive people to purchase and that have changed behaviors to be online first. Now the sort of boom in terms of just everyone operating that way is, is sort of unbelievable. And we're, you know, definitely seeing a real mix from across the portfolio for some of them, you know, uh, like it could not be like a better time in terms of, and actually part of the problem is not being able to deal with the amount of inbound that yeah. they're getting. And to your sort of point, Nicola, and you know, I actually was, was doing a session with one of our companies this morning and they were saying, you know, we think we need to start doing content and we need to start doing marketing but we have absolutely no capacity to deal with more top of funnel i'm like cool so why should you be doing that right now or like, how, you about how you would filter those people through or segment them into different sectors to make it easier or a sort of journey you'll take them on as you do sort of like you know put them in this holding sort of pen type thing until you are ready to deal with them and it's they said no so i'm like of course let's not drive top of funnel right now you know yeah it's funny isn't it? it feels like it's an innate thing you have to do even when logically everything tells you you shouldn't be doing it and it's changing that mindset yeah, yeah. so much cheaper like it's so much easier <laughs> exactly retaining your customers once you've got them there rather than constantly you know spending more money on people who may or may not actually be decent long-term customers for you my, what do you, how, how are you viewing the whole thing? Like, or how was it for, for, for your clients um, before <clears throat> Corona also uh, uh, having a bit more of a, of a foot in, in B2B? Um, yeah. So I think in, in the SaaS space and the B2B side, I definitely see that in the past couple of years, uh, you know, there's a lot more funding going on. There's a lot more money flowing around and, and companies that have a solid products are actually quite well funded. And uh, there's been a lot of education in the space where they're looking to marketing much earlier to drive growth, actually to the point where we're sometimes like, yeah, you still need sales reps though. Like you can't just do marketing and you might not need, you know, a fancy uh, marketing automation system from day one. But I think there's been a lot of education and it was more about how do you as a CEO, as a co-founder decide how to invest? What is your first strategic hire in marketing? What kind of purchases should we be making? And that's where it was really about how to spend the money. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because they knew they had to go big on marketing uh, in probably in combination with sales as well. But then how to do it, I think it's still kind of because everybody's sharing their magic recipes, but it's not a one size fit all. Uh, so a lot of optimism. Uh, at the same time, everybody has still known that there was a recession coming. Like we've all known that for years, uh, that it wouldn't continue this way. But I think it's kind of those things like, well, not right now, though. You're always focusing on the next quarter, the next uh, two quarters ahead. And then you kind of just think that, yeah, it's probably not going to hit our next funding round. Well, right. Right. So I think a lot of optimism, but also much more. I think the founders out there are much more well educated in business uh, than they were uh, before. But I imagine also for B2B, like before Corona, like, we were on an upgoing curve in terms of also matureness from, from companies towards software and, and their willingness to yeah. actually spend money on this. Um, yeah. 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 You're still seeing, see, sorry, I, I, you, it's within certain functions. I think uh, you can see how HR tech has really blossomed in the past couple of years, but exactly. you're still seeing a lot of assistance from the buyers there. That is other people, the CIO that is making those decisions. So there's still some maturity uh, to be had, but yeah, I think this will change. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say really quick, what I was seeing, speaking mostly about Norway. Now, Norway is not known for being a marketing culture, you know, very sort of Nordic, more about modesty. Um, but in the last year, we did see a lot of adoption of marketing automation. I mean, I've been here for like four or five years now, grinding to try and help founders understand why they should do marketing. And 2018 mm. was a great year. Everyone was getting excited about it. I was seeing a lot more tooling, a lot better sort of segmentation of users and all the good stuff you need. The only complaint I, I heard was that, you know, media cost is always increasing. So that was happening before, but I think as we probably most of us know, media cost is way down now, you know, a lot less spending. So it was like better tooling, complaints about ad cost. And yeah. now I'm worried we maybe lose some of that momentum, although yeah. the costs have come down obviously for various reasons. So, so maybe let's just quickly um, have some personal anecdotes here about like, how do we actually each of us experience kind of like the hit so to speak, because I think also that you mentioned my, like we knew that the crisis was coming, but of course I think the, the, the uniqueness of this crisis is that it happened so fast, right? And it was more or less from one day to the other that, that markets just more or less closed. Could you maybe like, uh, Sean, ex- like how have you experienced this? Like in some of the companies you've been involved in, um, like have you some interesting yeah, anecdotes about that? Yeah, like one kind of funny um, bad timing story I have, you know, I was with Whereby for the last year and a half, two years, and we're competing against Zoom. Okay, Zoom's not easy to compete against. Great tech, tons of cash. Uh, We had zero funding. We were running the business basically purely on cash flow. So we had some revenue. Uh, I spent all of last year, 2019, grinding away on CRO, conversion rate optimization, marketing automation, tooling, analytics, all these things grinding and grinding and grinding. I left in January because I wasn't sure if we were going to get the money we needed to like go big. And like literally two weeks later, that's when Corona starts hitting. So I can tell you like, I don't work there anymore, but all I hear is that the revenue is just pouring in. So that was one company that had a very positive effect. I'm sure they could throw away all the work I did for a year and (laughs) revenue would still be scaling massively because everyone is buying video meetings. We've heard about Zoom with 300 million monthly actives. So that's one business that like is going to do really, really well and not be very capital dependent in this tough time. Yeah. I think what is interesting to think about, be it Zoom, whereby even Netflix, 
I'm really curious, like what's the reverb that's going to happen when things go back to normal? All these businesses are going to get hit with like massive churn and all kinds of other challenges. So it's going to be really interesting as we kind of move back and forth. But yeah, I thought that was funny. A company that I literally was grinding. We have to do this stuff. We have to do CRO. I'm sure none of that matters anymore. <laughs> people are just, you know, you could have the worst funnel ever and people are buying it, you know, because they need this tool so bad. Yeah, yeah. Quite similar. So we're investors in a company called Hopin. Um, Hopin being an online events platform, um, and you know we first invested sort of last summer. And uh, Johnny, the founder, raised a really strong um, round earlier this year, like six million from um, Axel and Northzone. And I remember sort of you know we were working on pushing the release out in kind of February, and he was like, you know, it didn't get quite as much media pickup as he would have liked, and then. You literally fast forward a month and everybody is desperately clambering to get on Hopin. And there was a feature in The Guardian even this weekend about a couple who got married using it. And you couldn't ask for better publicity than this piece. I mean, it was literally amazing. They do not have a marketing department, you know, and actually they don't need it because the timing for them is so perfect. And, and actually, I think like positioning here is everything. And I remember listening to something that Rory Sutherland said around you know the problem with the video call was it was always deemed as a poor man's British Airways so rather than be seen as like an effort because we're still engaging and we can see each other it was always seen as the cop-out and so actually I think this is where like macro climate can have a really interesting impact on repositioning something that was traditionally perhaps thought as as lesser and actually then perhaps for having a, a change in our behavior so I, I yeah I think it will be really interesting in that sort of respect if if these sort of things do start shifting how, how we respond. I mean, just speaking like personally to us at Seedcamp, there was, you know, for us as well as our portfolio, there was definitely this immediate kind of like, just probably like what the fuck moment, you know, cause everyone's just like, what is going on? And no one knew quite how to operate. So it was kind of, and, and we even sort of saw then when we were thinking around like our own brand and, and messaging and what to put out that the timing right at the beginning was not right to be proactively doing things that could seem like insensitive and and it was very much about triaging like how do people feel what's important right now what do we have to reshape as an organization in terms of like acclimatizing how we can move and, and operate in this new world and then thinking you know understanding or, or believing that people were going to start to come through that initial period and like what mechanisms and support do you start to put in place in terms of helping them do that and then now sort of thinking ahead to what does recovery look like or sort of you know re-entry to to work and and to growth and all of these things that you know temporarily only i think were, were yeah. halted. but i think actually that's an interesting perspective that we might could just dwell a bit with is like this part about okay we all know that some companies are struggling like a lot and 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 here's just about like getting whatever uh, uh traction uh, that you can get um but i think it's interesting to maybe just uh, talk a bit about those companies that are suddenly actually experienced like a huge amount of growth and and how do you actually um are smart about this in terms of 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 making sure that as you said sean uh, that that when we all hopefully get back to normal of some sort that we don't just like see tons of churn right and that we spend time with the right kind of customers i think i think that's a really really interesting question i mean one thing we found is is similar to what both of you um sean and tasha have been talking about we've obviously seen that, that all of these big blocks around online have disappeared. So that inertia, I don't want to try something new. This is my comfort zone. This is how it works. This is how it's always worked. I don't want to try this new online world. 
suddenly that's been forced upon it. I think one challenge for us is that before, when we did get parents to, to use our online platform, they thought it was amazing because they imagined that it was a pre-recorded video and they have live chat, they can see the tutor, there's an interactive whiteboard and they had nothing to compare it against. The challenge we have now is that they're using a ton of other online platforms. So all of the parents are using Zoom through work. They may be using something like Babylon Health. They may be using fitness apps. So we can't just look at our competitors where we know we are one of the leading, we have the leading platform. We've got to start looking at these other services because they're going to up what their, their minimum threshold is for a great online experience. So actually what we're really focusing on this quarter in product is to make sure we have the best learning space, which was something we probably not necessarily rightly, but deprioritized before because our parents thought it was amazing because they had nothing else to really compare against. Um, but another one I think is, is just making sure that you stay really focused on your core customer base during this time. We've seen quite a big influx of adult learners who, who are furloughed, they're, they're at home and they're suddenly like, I've got all of this time, I'm gonna learn something. So I'm gonna spend the next four, four weeks learning Japanese or psychology or whatever else it might be. And as, as you often see with, the, with sales teams, they're like, Nicola, we've gotta focus on mature like, adult learners. This is really important for us. We're getting loads of calls in. But obviously there's no longevity in that for us. They're gonna be in during this period and then we're gonna lose them again. And our platform is focused around secondary school education. And so tempting as it is, we have to say no, stay in our train line. This is where, this is where our, our future is and this is where we have to stay. Very happy to have inbound contacts, but we're not gonna start marketing to them. I think that's a really interesting point from the product experience perspective too. I've seen a lot of people, like a total mix of people either like using this time to really double down on product and making it better for when things normalize, or people being totally blinded by the kind of like almost excitement to be like entrepreneurs here and now and be like build solution for here and now but it's like by the time you actually get it to market and like is that still going to be a, a reality and a thing that people want when normality does kick back in so it's this real tension between like you know enhancing existing product or not getting too blinded by the shiny new thing that might be coming in as you say Nicola. Yeah, and it's, it's been quite interesting, though, because I think it has also opened up opportunities to be quite scrappy. So we wanted to make sure that with, with homeschooling being incredibly challenging from my small experience of it, we know that, that there's a lot of parents out there who can't necessarily afford one-to-one -one tuition. And we wanted to do something that would support a much broader range of parents. So we've been talking for the last year, I think, about doing um, a level of like online school where it's free um, tutorials, but for hundreds of kids versus it being one-to-one. -one. So you don't get that real personalized experience, but you can still learn in a live environment and ask questions. So for over a year, we said, oh no, it's too big a project. Really not sure about this. Coronavirus hits and we did it in a week. And it's just, it's not perfect. You know, it was quite scrappily done, but it was still adding a huge amount of value to the, I think on average, a class has 200 kids in it. And so it has taken us back a little bit to, it's okay to be scrappy sometimes. It doesn't always need to be perfect. And I think when we thought about it before, we turned it into this very complex project. And actually we did it without any product resource and in a week. Super interesting. My, what, 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 what is your perspective on, on exactly some of, of uh, your clients and how they've experienced the, uh, the hit of the corona and, and also potentially how they have, uh, they, have, they have adapted to it so far? I think the whole you know, pandemic part of it, uh, working from home and so on, hasn't really hit them as much. Uh, what really hit them is the uh, uncertainty of the economic downturn. How big it's going to be, and uh, and where where it quickly happened is that all of a sudden all of the founders are getting a lot of pressure from their boards mm -hmm. to make contingency plans and to figure out what are we going to do next. And when you have to go switch from your mindset from being 
growth, 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 the only thing you have to worry about is like, how can you scale fast enough? All of a sudden, you have to start thinking about scaling if you have to scale back. What if those deals don't come through, right? Uh, I think one of the things that I thought was the most remarkable and hadn't thought of was at that time in, in the beginning of March, I was working on two uh, recruitment jobs, uh, strategic marketing hires, one in Copenhagen, one in, uh, in the US. And what happened a week after the lockdown in the respective countries was people start uh, or stop being interested in switching. And uh, because they don't want the, uh, because of the uncertainty and they don't want to give up their job, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this is going to hit uh, the startup industry quite a lot because if they're not able to get uh, the talent that they need to scale their business from other startups, right, that have some experience, then the ecosystem is not really, it's going to be stuck. So maybe just to, to, to dig a bit deeper into this, like, do, do you see, like, do you see that there are, like, remarkable changes in terms of how do you grow a b2b company like like is it still like the inbound outbound like uh, split uh, and of course you need to 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 drive some sort of paid marketing but you also need to have your sales team running etc so, like, is there any kind of like clear shift or is it just like it, it is just at a bit maybe at a lower pace than it was before corona i think uh, honestly i don't see much has changed specific industries have been hit but but uh to be honest, it's still about the same thing. Get qualified leads in, right? It's still the same game. And then optimizing your challenge uh, channels and so on. But I do think uh, this opens up for, because a lot of sales uh, teams have a, a Q2 that is out the window, right? It's right. not happening. The, if they didn't have it by a good Q1, they are not in a good position right now. So they're hoping for Q3 to really be fruitful in Q4, but it's still a chancing it because a lot of companies are you know, postponing decisions. So I think this is an interesting opportunity for marketing to not just look at the part of the funnel that they own, but mm-hmm. also see how can we go in and support sales on a more account-based approach, say, okay, for the existence of this business, we need to close these deals and marketing needs to support that because it doesn't matter if you're filling the funnel and it's getting stuck in, in the sales part, right? So I think it opens up for uh, going a bit broader with what the marketing normally worries about. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that as well, that like if you are, I mean, I am hearing that it's harder to get meetings. It's probably easy to get people to attend a webinar like we're doing right now. There's five every day that you could attend to. But I, I have heard some feedback that it's hard to get people to respond to a meeting, you know, the yeah. via marketing automation or outbound. Uh, I think I've also been working with a client in the HR space, which obviously is like really impacted by this. Why would someone buy HR software right now? Of course, they're going to hold back. They, especially if it's software to help you hire people, nobody's doing that today. So I've been trying to help this founder and a few others think about one, do the maintenance stuff that you were too busy to do before. Content creation may touched on this, you know, actually good sort of lead nurturing activation, all the things you've wanted to do, but have been too busy making sales or having these meetings, you know, go back and put that time in and then have that hopeful outlook. I don't think it's going to be the next quarter. I don't think it's going to be this year, but I'm just like, I don't know, maybe being too pessimistic these days. But if we're looking at six months of very restrained sales, that's a lot of time to do the things like the organic SEO that you never want to do because (laughs) it takes so long to show the results. Well, you have that time now. You can put in that effort and do it. The final piece, I've been working with someone who sells a large HR product 
and helping them to sort of reshift to how do we sell something much smaller and solving some of the more current needs. So as opposed to them trying to get software used to hire people, actually getting software and using the same software to help re-onboard people as we get closer mm. to that, how to use that software to communicate the health news and health updates that this was about a month ago. And that was like really key important. So I love this idea. I don't hear this word very much in Nordics, but in America, we call it the beachhead. You know, it's a war term. We love war. And, you know, it's like, how do you get, how do you sell into something small, provide a little bit of value so you can nurture that lead over the next few months and then hopefully sell them, you know, the full enterprise package. So it's, it's not a bad idea to like get in the door and work around their budgets, which are restrained, so you can sell them something bigger at a later time. Yeah, I think it's oh, a really good point, Sean. I think also I've heard uh, a lot of people like trying to adapt that product into some sort of freemium solution, right? Yeah. You can actually get in there and actually, because right now, as you say, like all budgets are just like, forget about it. If you're going B2B and, and, and nobody's daring kind of like to suggest any kind of like new initiatives also because they'll be laughed at at this moment. So, but, but this part about like actually being able to introduce your product as a freemium solution and then just like believe that, of course, if you, allow, if you, if you deliver something good that you can actually um, make proper sales later on. Mm. There's a good local example in Denmark. Uh, Jonas, he's going to hate me if I get his company name wrong, but I want to say it's called Pento. They do payroll software. Another example of like, and they do payroll software, I think mostly in the UK, really hard to sell new payroll software right now. So they made a furlough calculator. You know, yeah. that's what everyone needed. That was the immediate need. I need to understand my sort of calculation around furlough. And they have this beautiful branding and lead generation tool. Probably yeah. took them a week to make. And they have this sort of beautiful thing, provide some value, get to know the people, and then hope that you can engage that contact when people are looking to make that type of purchase. And Sean, I think that's just the most valuable comment. What we talk a lot about in the B2B space, um, in, in the UK at the moment is very much about using this time to really build a connection with your existing customers and your potential customers. Now, this is obviously something we love to do all year round in any sort of environment, but we don't. And now we've got this time, let's think about what they really need and what's really gonna support them versus trying to sell. And that way, when they do come to that point when they are thinking about new payroll solution or whatever it is, you're gonna be front of mind because they trust you, they value your content and their relationship with you. And so I think it's about thinking, what can I do now for those potential customers, my existing customers, that will be really support me in the long term as well. I totally agree. And actually, and Pento is a seed account company, so we're very happy uh, with what they're getting up to there. But also not just as a way to sort of engage with, with existing companies, but also to launch businesses. So another um, portfolio company of ours who are brand new and not even in market yet, they're called Ben. And they're a sort of um, rewards like uh, card so that you could, as employers can give to your employees to basically spend on rewards that are actually things that are meaningful to you rather than these kind of like generic plans that you potentially get put onto. And, and they're pre-launch, but what they did was think, well, HR teams are probably under like the cost right now and having a really difficult time, like trying to think around how to support their teams, like totally like things thrown up in the air for them. And who's actually catering for them because they're spending all of their time having to think about their employees. So what they did was create this digital care package, not asking them to do anything, but really thinking around like how are ways in which we can help you support your teams right now building a really great sort of suite of, of offers, not taking any sort of cut or anything, um, you know, reaching out to HR people as part of this. And obviously, you know, it's a great marketing tool in terms of building their funnel and, and contact book and, and building goodwill for when they are ready to go to market. What, what is your view on, on the various channels to be used uh, uh, during uh, this 
this stage we're at and also in the future. What do you think? Uh, what, what do you think, Natasha? Like, what across your portfolio? Like, what are you seeing that that the ones that are growing are the ones that are focusing on growth? Where will, where are they kind of like putting their money into or their time into? I think I always sort of see the same problem, which is people rely too strongly on this belief that there is this one golden channel and you have this bullet and like, boom, you go and you grow like forever at this amazing like rate and your CPM sort of stay the same and eventually you always hit a wall. So I guess like the thing that I always try and work with people on is this idea of actually like building this cohesive like brand story and, and then really thinking around like who are the people that you're trying to reach who is that disproportionately influential customer and actually where are they um, and then what is the channel or the mix of channels uh, in order to get to them I think you know it's going to be an interesting potential leveler um, at the moment because people who have perhaps turned away from channels such as Facebook as they've become more expensive perhaps mm. start coming back as they've become you know way cheaper <laughs> depending on you know the sort of sectors that you're in and and also for companies who you know who are well funded and who are in sort of markets where they're actually growing right now there's nothing to say that they shouldn't be spending on marketing i guess you know it's going to be really interesting to see how more traditional channels like out of home you know how they sort of come back i think there's a belief in that market that there's going to be this kind of like jubilant return as soon as we're all outside and people are going to want to start putting their money back into that sort of medium um, and there's definitely been this interesting sort of shift change in the definitely with tech companies it was always like this allergy to anything that was unmeasurable before mm. and so things like out of home were just like oh no and then all of a sudden like you can't move on the tube in london for seeing startups i don't think it's all i ever see actually in terms of like on the tube in london right now and so it'll be interesting if people move back into that sort of more like digital first um, you know, sort of approach when it comes to thinking about a channel. And, you know, I, I wonder if it will, like, my hope is that it might inspire a bit more creativity because we're all having to think a bit more creatively, you know, right now around, like, how we reach people and, and what we do. It's really interesting seeing how some of these media owners are being incredibly creative as well. So Out of Home has obviously dropped enormously, but what they've started doing is packages around supermarkets and pharmacies which are open so you can just advertise around those but I mean for some stats TV viewings up 30% but the cost is down 50% the same with radio which is up 15% um, I think the other really interesting channel is direct mail because obviously everyone's working remote so how do you handle that well a lot of the direct mail companies now have the opportunity where you can send out a link to one of your clients and say I'd like to send you something they click on the link and then they can choose whether or not they want to add in their own personal address for it to be sent to. So we're, we're testing this out next week where we're sending, um, going back to what you were saying, Natasha, about care packages, we're sending these out to some of the teachers who are obviously in incredibly difficult situations at the moment. And we're gonna use this, can we send it to their home? So it's gonna be really interesting to see how many of them are open to actually giving out their home address to receive direct mail from businesses. So I'll report back on that one. For us, it's, we were actually about to, to do a big um, above the line campaign in September and it was mostly going to be focused around out of home tube um, and buses. Obviously, we're not going to be doing that now, but um, we're going to be repurposing that, that spend into TV because it's so cheap at the moment. And actually for us, it's a really key time for us to be driving that education and awareness of how we can support parents and kids um, with their education as they move into the next academic year. And I think businesses need to be really careful about not cutting back too much on their marketing spend because you want to make sure that your brand is still there front of mind in front of your clients and your potential clients. And um, what you don't want to happen is cut back right now 
And then when everything does open up again and you start to market, they've forgotten who you are and you have to start from the beginning again. I also think, I mean, I think TV is such a like overlooked channel, um, especially in startups. You know, very few of our companies have done it. And those who have, like their conversion light has gone up and their costs have actually come down significantly. And, you know, there was a great video sort of doing the rounds of, you know, how the big brands are responding to COVID and like literally everything sounds the same and and i'm genuinely like disappointed and i think here's like a real opportunity again for sort of startups and, and younger emerging businesses to think more creatively like everyone right now is using stock imagery and the same messaging it's like what is the message that's actually true to your brand mm-hmm. why do you need to be here here and now for people what do they care about uh, what is that story and then how are you like bringing it to life visually like you know where what, what's happened to like graphic design and illustration and all these things that we can actually yeah. be creating remotely and that no one's really doing it feels like yeah everyone everything just feels a little bit vanilla and, and actually now is the time to not be vanilla and it's where like people can really take off if they just you know give themselves the like license i guess that it's okay to do that and i think as you see um prices come right down there's also some amazing offers out there like i think the royal mail in the uk are offering free postage for businesses up to fifty thousand pounds for the rest of the year um i think sky digital are offering incredible deals um, for startups to buy very, very cheap TV advertising. So, you know, with smaller budgets, you've got to get more creative in terms of that. Um, the sto- as you say, you know, you don't necessarily just want to go to a big advertising agency, put something together. You can get really creative and do some amazing stuff using um, graphics and illustration and some of your case studies to tell that story that's most relevant to your customers and start experimenting with some other channels too. I think it's a great opportunity to be really creative. I, th- I think it's a great challenge for the founders that are watching. Like, you're so right. I'm like, the hotel I stayed at seven years ago has told me that we're in this together and this is what they're doing to keep things clean. And it's like, what a wasted opportunity of, of um, and to, you know, hit your entire mailing list with that. So I agree, be bold. Um, TV, yes. And YouTube is, I guess, the cheaper equivalent, which has always been like underutilized. People are at home. They want to learn. They want to like consume a lot more. So you got to like get creative and find how to sort of wedge into those opportunities and, and share some knowledge as opposed to just sign up now as the call to action. So I, I love that challenge. Yeah, it's like founders listening to this, like, and you're Danes too, you're bold, like by design, like get out there and like push the envelope. I, I haven't seen very much of that, to be honest. Yeah, I really like that. I think also, I think also Nicola saying that earlier, it's, it's like because of this crisis and because we are all in this together to some extent, the, I think before Corona, like the bar was pretty high. Maybe also something that you were referring to, Natasha, that it became a bit vanilla, but because like the bar was so high, it's like everybody like was just doing the same thing and, and, and everything was so kind of like uh, well-developed and there wasn't one thing you could do that it wasn't already done. But now I think like the, the world has just changed really, really fast and we are all kind of like at a, at, at, we're all back to zero to some extent in terms of how to communicate and how to position yourself. So you can actually, you can do some, some things that haven't been done before, also referring to some of the things you're, you're, you're saying. I'd also, bouncing off what Sean is saying, I think uh, what we have to think about now is that in the B2B market, people are now in their homes. Like the line between being at work, being at home has blurred completely. People are experiencing a lot more free time. Uh, they're making sourdoughs, they're planting tomatoes, <laughs> you know, they're doing all sorts of weird things that they normally don't do. I'm, I'm on it myself. And, and the thing is that there's still this, uh, it's opened up for uh, uh, people wanting to learn something new, reading new books, learning something, being better at, at their field. And I think you can tap into that with 
working on something a bit media content on the B2B side and not just being like headline blog post, trying to get some clicks in, but really saying, how can you be a source of education for your prospective uh, customers? How can you help them uh, um, uh, uh, navigate this situation better and in their field uh, naturally? And, and speaking to also in terms of media channels, one of the things that I think is very underutilized in the B2B space is audio. Audio is booming on the B2B state. People are consuming content while they're doing dishes, while they're cooking, while they're doing their sourdough soda, whatever. People really like to have their earbuds in. And uh, being on video and, you know, reading a PDF, like who reads PDF anymore? I don't know it. But, you know, people uh, have changed the way they consume because they're doing things, multiple things at a time having a good narrator on your content and doing audio content, doing podcasts, whatever, you have the time right now. So why not get your product team together with some customers and talk about how to, you know, whatever, you know, there's, there's a potential to utilize the channel that all of your customers are doing in their private life already. We are, we're kind of like getting towards the end of this fantastic conversation. I think it's been a lot of very, very good inputs. Uh, I think finally, just like, if you can try to keep it as short as possible, like, what are we looking into? Like, will, will, how long will this anyone dare to answer that? I can, I can take that one. I think Go it's going to be dependent on uh, which uh, country you're in, to be honest. Uh, there are some countries that are coming out of this uh, a lot easier and some are very, very hardly hit. And they're going to take years and years uh, because it's going to affect every single level in the society. I'm uh, very fortunate to be based here in Copenhagen. I, we are fairly all right. I think we are going to be, uh, people are going to not forget because this is not, this is going to continue, but because it's, it, we're coming back to no, a sense of normality very quickly. I think in the next six months, you will see businesses picking up on decisions and maybe having a bit of a shock. I think in, in other countries, this will take a very, very long time uh, and, and you cannot expect uh, things to change in this year. Like it's more like 2021, 2022. And the companies that are going to make it through this are the ones that are really thinking about their customers. It's not about having the biggest budgets, the biggest brand. It's about providing what your customer needs. And then remember the long-term part that I really like that you brought up, Nicola, that right now things are different and you might get overwhelmed by a lot of intake, but, but it is about like, who can you actually keep in six months from now that you're not yeah. going to suddenly see like a huge churn and that you've seen that you actually spent the, your time on the wrong customers? Yeah, it's a great question. Obviously, really hard to answer. I feel like the world was changing every week. Now it's changing every month. Maybe soon it'll only be changing every quarter. So it, we do feel some stability. Um, I would say, yeah, it is survival of the fittest. So, you know, get really, really fit. You know, be ready for the long term. If you don't have 10 months cash in the bank, try and think about what you can do to get there fast. So I think better to err on the side of caution, um, doing things that really, really matter. It's a lot of this like 80-20 rule, only 20% of what you do matters. Now more than ever, you got to really figure out what that is and, and be focused in on it. So I, I think it's a challenging time. I think, yeah, some country is better than others, as May was saying. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a slow recovery, but there is opportunity in the new recovery. And we may come back to where we are now in six months, in a year. We just, nobody knows. 
So it's like, look for the opportunities there. And there is some positives. I think we're finally, you know, it's kind of like when you go through, I don't know, like an addiction where it's like denial and all these stages, you know, we're kind of getting a little bit into acceptance and moving on to what is going to happen next. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to be the total pessimist here, but like, yeah, it's tough times for sure, at least for this year. Right. I think I always like to round off with like, is there any kind of like new tool that we all need to know about? Like I think growth and 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 building marketing is always interesting to talk about the tools. Any new tools that you come across lately that you think we all should uh, look into? I think for me, the one that's really interesting is the ability to send direct mail to people's homes with permission. So the company that I use is, is called Matter. They're only in the UK, but quite a few other direct mail agencies are starting to look at that. And I think that's a really interesting way to cut through some of the online noise. Totally pushing one of our portfolio companies, but hopin, um, H-O-P-I-N dot T-O. Um, I think, you know, if you think about marketing budgets, a lot gets spent and often wasted on events and things that aren't scalable. So thinking of ways to, to translate um, often very expensive marketing activities and, and really think about like building collaboration and bringing people together um, in a meaningful way online. Um, I think things like hopin can be really interesting for that. All right. I think we are running out of time and uh, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I think it's been really, really good. Uh, very fantastic conversations, fantastic discussions. Uh, very much appreciated for all of you to to take the time to to share your your experiences and your thoughts. Um, so yeah, I think that's the only thing to that is left to say. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very Thank much, you. everyone. Thank you so much. Bye bye. bye.